Amen. And as you're being seated, I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word and find with me Galatians 5. Galatians 5. And as we finished Habakkuk last week, uh, these next three weeks, we are just going to be dealing with the subject of service. We are right in the middle of a heavy serve time. Uh, mission trips and people serving in vacation Bible school and Love Loud uh, just ending earlier in the month and uh, getting, gearing up for a new church year uh, in July and uh, looking to call someone to come in and lead family ministry. And so just a lot of areas uh, that we're talking about serving. And so there's a great way to serve and there's an unhealthy way to serve. There's a real biblical godly way to serve and there is a unbiblical, ungodly way to serve. I am delighted that Todd gives us an example of that as he stands up here and leads us in worship. Uh, Todd has never claimed to be the greatest uh, worship leader, but he's faithful, taught himself the drums, and he's really faithful to stand in and uh, be our second string worship leader. And I don't know where he went as I'm saying that. He's back there right now. Here's the wonderful thing that I love about Todd Belcher. I, I want you guys to really think about this, and I want you to affirm that. There are some guys that come to this pulpit that I never have to worry are they going to be biblically sound and what comes out of their mouth is going to be correct? Todd Belcher is one of those guys. He's never going to teach you poorly. Now, there's a lot of guys that come up here, bells and whistles, skinny jeans, look good, sound good, sing like a rock star, and man, just absolutely cause y'all to go, wow. And they're going to teach you stuff that's unproductive and unhealthy, right? And so you want someone behind this desk at all times, and in your classrooms at all times that are going to root you and ground you to gospel truth. If you believe that to be true, say amen. Amen. And so I'm thankful that Todd is one of those guys that does that. Through love is able to serve one another when called upon. And there's many of you who are like that, whether it is folks who stand at the doors and welcome people, whether it's people who work in the nursery, whether it's these singers and musicians or our guys that run sound and uh, run the uh, videos back in the back, whether it's people who are working with our children's ministry right now, leading them in worship. We have just got a ton of people, our deacons who just serve faithfully, checking on people when they're sick in the hospital, when there's a struggle in their life, when things are not going well and they just need someone to pray with them and encourage them. We just have a ton of people who are serving and my heart as our pastor is this. There are times in my own life that I serve and my heart is betraying me in that service. Have any of you ever done that? Don't raise your hand. But as you served, you just thought, yes, I'm serving, but boy, this is sort of a task right now or it's something that I want to get done on this punch list. And it's not really centered on Christ. It's not really thinking about the freedom in which we have to serve. It's really not serving uh, for, the, for the love of Christ and for love's sake, but it's just serving because there's some sort of sense of obligation. And I want to remind us over these next just few weeks here, right in the middle of the summer, as we're thinking about serving, as we're being challenged to serve, as we're thinking about giving, looking forward to a new church year, how we serve one another, how we serve and make Jesus known is as important as the service that we do. The kind of heart that we render service with is vitally, vitally important. And Galatians 5, Paul is reminding 
uh, these Galatians of that very fact. He's talking about uh, people had crept into the church at Galatia and they began to teach them that salvation in Christ alone through faith was not enough, but that if they really wanted to be justified, they needed to be have their sins forgiven by Christ, but they also needed to adhere to Jewish circumcision. And so Paul addresses this, and he talks throughout this whole letter about freedom and about how Christ has made us free and about the difference he has made and about how Jesus is enough on his own. If you believe that to be true, would you say amen? Jesus is enough on his own. He is. And so that we don't have to bring anything to that and add to it. And so I want us to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 15, but I really want us to focus on verse 13, 14, and 15 today but to help you understand the context in which Paul is writing to the church at Galatia in which the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. Let's begin in verse 1. Paul writes and he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Do you hear what Paul's saying? He's saying, you believe the gospel. What's hindered you from that? And then he goes on and he says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Do you hear that call? Only do not use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed. Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Father, how uncanny... Uh, what, what unbelievable timing you have to lead us out of Habakkuk and then into this series on service. And as we consider how we're stewards of service and this grace that you've given us, when we look at 1 Corinthians 4, when we consider in Psalm 100, 100 how you call us to serve you with gladness. As we consider today, Lord, Galatians 5 and how you've called us to serve one another through love. How, God, you have set us free, and in this freedom, Lord, you desire that we would exemplify the sacrificial uh, 
servanthood of Christ. And so, God, we need you to do that in us. Lord, we thank you for everyone who serves and, God, the heart that they serve with. And, Lord, I just know that there are times in all of our journeys, Lord, when it's easy uh, to begin to look at service as an obligation or a to-do list or something that we just need to get done. And, God, we miss the opportunity that as we serve, we not only bring great honor to you as we exemplify your servant's heart, but, God, as you serve your body through us, that, Lord, we are an example of the great love of Christ, the love of Christ that took him to a cross, the love of Christ that bared our sin, the love of cross that conquered death in the grave, uh, love of Christ, Lord, that is coming again for his people. And so, God, work in our hearts today through Galatians 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. And Christ, may you be glorified. It's my prayer today in Jesus' name. And all of you said, Amen. This Thursday, Lord willing, we'll celebrate 243 years of national freedom, of a sovereign, of a, being a sovereign nation, free from the tyranny of England and uh, King George uh, III. I am unashamedly a Christian first. Someone asked me, are you a patriot or a Christian? Which is your allegiance to first? And it's a no-brainer. I always say it's to Christ and it's to his word first. But I also can stand before you in a time when it's not real popular to say I'm unashamedly a patriot as well. A believer first and a patriot second. Why would that? Uh, why would I say that and be willing to go on the record of saying that? It is because I thank God for our country and the freedoms that my family and I enjoy. Tracy and I have freedoms in this country, uh, and Caleb and Ruthie and Levi and Jacob and Kerr. We, we all enjoy freedoms that we would not have necessarily in every other country under the world, uh, in the world, and I'm talking about national freedom. But here we have some really unique freedoms, and so I'm thankful to God for those freedoms. Another reason, and the main reason that I'm unashamedly would say today that I'm a Christian first and then a patriot second is because God has taught me through his word that the very assertion when our forefathers said that all men are created equal and are endowed with unalienable rights, I know and understand through the study of God's word, man, that comes straight from scripture, right? That God created us in Imago Dei. We're image bearers of the Lord himself. We're different from every other created being and form that God ever worked in creation. And so we're distinct and we are different. And so therefore, uh, God intends for us to not only live for him, but to demonstrate his glory in and through our lives. And so I know this unalienable right that our forefathers talked about is an unalienable right that really comes straight from Scripture. And furthermore, this freedom that all of us long for as Americans, this freedom that we long for as individuals, can only truly be found in Christ. When you see people who are using their freedom in a way maybe that you wouldn't use your freedom, as you see people using their freedom as a, an American citizen to do things that you would not approve of or that would even be contrary to Scripture, I would remind you before just judging them that you would take a step back and just remember this, that they are crying out, their need is crying out, their life is crying out for something that can only be found in Christ, right? When you start talking about gender confusion, when you start talking about identity issues, when 
you start talking about uh, things such as socialism and, and just a whole generation of people starting to think, wait a minute, uh, wealth is wrong, somehow wealth is evil, and so everybody should make the same, everybody should earn the same, everybody should have the same, no matter where they are in life. And that, that teaching is beginning to creep in. It's been in our universities for a long time, but now it's beginning to, to just creep into our mainstream conversations that we're having every day. And I would just say to you, people are crying out for a freedom that they're only that only can be found in the person of Christ. So therefore, we look forward to a better country. Hebrews eleven sixteen says this, but as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so this morning, I want us to think about how God calls us to serve one another through love. And that with this freedom that he has blessed us with and given us um, in the person of Christ, for everyone who's been born again, that with this freedom uh, comes tremendous freedom to serve the Lord and to serve others and to lay down. We have freedom to lay down the rights that we so hanker for and long for and call for as American citizens. We have the freedom to say, I may have that right, but the Lord is going to restrain me because the freedom that I have in Christ supersedes any other freedom that I would possibly enjoy. And so write this down for me this morning and make a mental note of it in your scripture. Look at verse 13a and notice where Paul says, for you were called to freedom. You were called to freedom, brothers. And that word is generic. He's saying you were, free to, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. We have this unbelievable joy of knowing Christ. And you should write this down, that the gospel frees us. The gospel frees us to remember our calling. He uses that word, you were called to freedom. He's wanting us to remember some things about this calling, about what he did to work in us and to call us away from the law, to call us away from ourself to call us away from our sinful nature and so he begins by saying this gospel frees us to remember our calling jesus has freed us from the guilt of sin i want you to think about that this morning that for every one of you who are born again you're sitting in this place you've sang those worship songs you've participated in the offering you shook someone's hand you've prayed and called on the name of jesus as we prayed as we've gathered here to worship you have fully participated, and one of the reasons is because the Lord, by the gospel and through his work on the cross, has called us away from our sin, and he's freed us from the guilt of sin because he has forgiven us. I don't know if you have thought about this, but do you realize that your sin does not cause God to love you less? Have you thought about that? Because the enemy really wants you to respond the way uh, and look at God's love for you the way that you would love when somebody disappoints you. Someone disappoints you. Someone does something to you. You can be tempted not to think as highly of them. You can be tempted to not love them as well or love them as much or to be frustrated with them. And I want you to understand this, that when we sin, one, it doesn't catch God by surprise, but two, it does not frustrate God. And why is that? Because 
Our sin in full, all of it, was nailed to the cross with Christ. And so the gospel frees us to remember this calling that Jesus has freed us from the guilt of sin because he's forgiven us. So he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So if you're living your Christian life thinking every time I sin, every time I do something I shouldn't do, every time I break the law, every time I think a bad thought, every time I drop the ball, somehow I'm frustrating God and God loves me less. And so he pulls himself away from me. I want to say to you, that is not what's going on. God loves you fully the same. You've not caught him by surprise. What is happening is you're not walking in the liberty that God has given you and so you've become, you become entangled again to that yoke of slavery. And so that feeling you feel is not God being angry and judging you. That feeling that you're feeling is a conviction because you know that God's called you to walk in freedom and liberty, but yet you've taken a step back and you're, you're entangling yourself with the law again. And so the gospel reminds us of this calling that we've been free from the guilt of sin, but also the penalty of sin. That through the gospel, we remember that God's called us from the penalty of sin because he died for us. If you're here today and you're living a life thinking, I'm going to give an account one day for all of my sin, and I'm hoping that my good works, my righteous deeds, outweigh my negative deeds, and somehow if they will outweigh my negative deeds, that's going to please God. I want to say to you that Jesus has freed us from the penalty of sin because he died for us. For you were called to freedom, brothers. This penalty of sin was properly dealt with at the cross. What happened on the cross was that God's anger, wrath, frustration, hostility toward our sinful disobedience was all taken out on Christ. His frustration, his judgment, his wrath, Jesus endured that for us. If you say, preacher, will I be judged? You're going to be judged uh, not according to your sin, but you're going to be judged according to your work, what you have done for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he reminds us that this gospel frees us to not only walk in a way that we're not living in guilt of our sin or that we're thinking somehow that we're going to be penalized because of our sin, but also Jesus has freed us from the power of sin because he lives in us. So he not only has forgiven us, he died for us, but he lives in us. So this is bringing us to, a, to an intersection where there's going to be a collision if we're not thinking correctly, or if our heart is uh, convicting us and it is not bearing witness to what we're hearing this morning. When we say Jesus has freed us from the power of sin because he lives in us, that means that there is a power in you that is greater than the power that causes you to sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is greater than your sin? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in you has more power and authority in your heart, in your life, over your sin. 
See, if you believe that and you understand that and you're yielded to the Holy Spirit and he breaks into that, we don't have time to deal with that. In verses 16 down through 26, he breaks into spirit-filled living and about the fruit of the Spirit and about what's not the fruit of the Spirit. But the long and short of it is, is this. He's saying that Jesus has freed us from the power of sin because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. If you believe it, say amen. Jesus dwells in you if you are a believer. He dwells in you through the presence of his Holy Spirit. So he frees us from this guilt of sin, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, but this gospel frees us to remember this calling, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Paul is wanting them to understand this freedom is not just a license for you to go and give yourself to the law again, but this freedom is to allow Christ to have his way in your heart and life. And so Jesus has freed us from this bondage of the law. Why is that? Because he has fulfilled the law. So preacher, how is the law fulfilled in me? How do I fulfill? And when he's speaking of the law here in Galatians, he's referring to the Ten Commandments. He's not speaking of the Mishnah, all these other laws that were added to uh, the Ten Commandments. But he's speaking generally of the Ten Commandments. How is it that the law then is fulfilled in me? I'm not supposed to say that the law has no effect or no purpose. I'm not to despise the law. What am I to do with the law? You are to submit and yield to God through his word, through the presence of his Holy Spirit, and allow Jesus to fulfill the law in and through you. And watch this. And when you break the law and you sin against God and his character, know that Jesus has forgiven you. Know that what he requires of you is to say, God, forgive me for I have sinned. Uh, know that the Lord calls us to confess our sins. And as we confess our sins, that he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this, that the gospel frees us. It frees us to remember our calling. I was reading an article in the New York Post this week. It's amazing. Uh, the perfect timing uh, of this particular article. There's a man in Kansas who went and he robbed a bank. And he plotted it out, and he wanted to rob the bank in a way that he would get caught robbing the bank. Did anybody read this? You Go look it up online. And so the guy goes into the bank to rob the bank so he'll get caught. Why was the guy wanting to get caught? He was so miserable in the marriage relationship he had with his wife. He was wanting to be sent to jail so he could be free from his wife. Have you ever heard of such a ridiculous stunt? This is not made up. You can, you can read it online. So do you know what the judge did to that man who wanted to be free from his wife? So he went and he robbed a bank so he'd get caught so he could go live in prison free from his wife. The judge sentenced him to house arrest with his wife. Is that not absolutely hilarious? And they show a picture of this guy right there in the paper. And I mean, he looks miserable. I don't know who his wife is, but she must be a ringtail tutor. Or she could be a saint of God putting up with somebody like that, right? What do you bring that up for, preacher? Because listen to me, we have a freedom that Christ gives us that does not frustrate us, that doesn't cause us to want to be free from him, to run from him, but it causes us to want to draw close to him. 
to love him, to serve him. And so here, the Holy Spirit is using Paul to remind those Galatian believers that the gospel frees us to remember this calling that we have in Christ. And if any of you are here today and you're struggling with the flesh, and this word flesh here, I want to make sure we're clear, this is the work of circumcision that he's talking about, right? So this is a Jewish custom. This is not just uh, sexual immorality or something like that that he's referring to. He's saying, for any of you who would refer back to the law, he says, you need to remember that you've been called to freedom. But here's the second thing. Look at that second portion of verse 13. The gospel not only frees us to remember our calling, but the gospel frees us to walk in liberty responsibly. He says, only do not use your freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. See, there is a real danger to misuse our freedom in Christ as a license or liberty to do what we want. Not because God's grace fails us, but because we fail understanding God's grace properly. Hebrews 12 deals with this, particularly Hebrews 12, 14, 15, 16. It deals with this, how we have an, un, uh, an unbiblical, unhealthy view of God's grace. And so we tend to think somehow that grace fails us, but the truth of the matter is we're not understanding grace properly. And so if there is a true grace of God, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 12, then there's also this false grace of God. And there's this false grace of God who comes with teachers who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. That's the whole purpose of Jude's letter, right? It's the whole purpose of that. So what are you saying, preacher? Watch this. So Paul cautions these Galatian believers here. I mean, he says in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Then verse 13, you were called the freedom, brothers. He's saying, celebrate it, live in it. But then there's this word of warning. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What is he wanting us to know and realize? It is very important for us to not use our freedom and our liberty in an irresponsible way. And so, here's how God's hammered me, right, with this message through the week. I'm riding the lawnmower on Friday, and I'm just thinking about this text, and I'm thinking about what that means to me. And so I don't want you to lose this. I hope you'll set up and sit up and write this down. This idea, this warning to make sure that we walk in liberty responsibly, there are two overshadowing principles that you find in God's word that's going to help you understand this, right? Because people will use these principles to strain at gnats. And what do you mean by that? Well, someone say, well, if I'm supposed to prefer one another, if I'm not supposed to use my freedom as a license to do what I think is okay or what I feel like is okay, but someone else doesn't think that it's okay, how do I get along with that person? And if you say, what does that got to do with the text today? It's the, it's the very context, it's the very subject leading into how do we serve one another through love. And I would say to you, these two principles, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, number one, it is a principle of a stumbling block. But take care that this liberty of yours, listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, 
Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. To the weak. So the last night of uh, Southern Baptist Convention, my family uh, meets up with Caleb and Ruthie, and we go to this restaurant and eat, and there's a group of guys sitting over here that are part of our convention. Some of them are with their wives. None of these are in leadership, per se, in our convention, none of our ministries that we're leading, but they are a theological group in our convention. And what do I mean by that? They're, they're rooted and grounded. If you read their writings, they're uh, really orthodox. They believe the word. They have a high view of God's word, a high view of God. But they're sitting over there, and they're drinking wine like crazy. And so one of my sons says, look at that. And guys over there, that's why, that's why these guys are just crazy. They bust my chops because that's how they choose to use their freedom and liberty. And I said, now you, you understand they got liberty to do that as long as they are not drunk. I don't think it's wise. I don't, I don't recommend it to any of you here. So if you say, Pastor, what, what do you think of me knocking down a bottle of wine at night? I think it's foolish. I think you can knock down some water, right? And if you want to really get, get something good, get you some Diet do, okay? Uh, and and this, is not a, this is not a message on drinking, but I would say to you there's a number of reasons, one of which I'm hitting at, just one, of why that would be unwise. And so what did... My, my oldest son, uh, what, did, what was he recognizing? He was recognizing that while these are some of our most theological folks in our convention, they're also some of our most unwise folks in our convention, immature folks in our convention. Why, why would that be? Because there's going to be people who come in there who would say, I think that's really unhealthy because it's a strong temptation. My mom and dad were alcoholics. Maybe I was an alcoholic and God freed me from alcoholism. So if I start drinking, uh, even just to take a drink, just with my supper, but I'm not attempting to get drunk, there's a chemical dependency that comes there, right? Hello? Hello? Wait a minute, y'all. I may have a bunch of wine drinkers in here. Hello? All right? So, so what, what are you saying, preacher? Here's what I'm saying. The first principle is this. How do I enjoy this freedom and liberty that Christ has given me? How do I exercise that wisely and responsibly? And the first thing I would say is remember the stumbling block principle. Take care that the liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block. And watch this a stumbling block to the weak. And then the second principle is this. It's found all throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. The verse that I'll cite today is Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. I call this the uh, preferring others or the preference principle. So in life, how do I enjoy the liberty and freedom that God's given me responsibly? And how do I, at the same time, not strain at gnats, worry about what everybody is thinking of me? I think for the mature believer to say, you know what, I have this tremendous freedom and liberty in the Lord, and I want to make sure that with this freedom and liberty, I'm not contradicting the gospel and becoming a stumbling block. I want to make sure that I'm just not becoming a stumbling block to others. 
And I want to make sure that in real humility, in real humility, without empty conceit, without a selfish motive, I really want to prefer others. I really want to prefer others. I think, I don't know this to be true, but I think I could shoot my bow and arrow inside the city limits at Long Hunters. I thought about doing it. At one time, I had a deer, and I set it out there. Not a real deer, but a, a, a fake deer, a target deer. And I sat it in my backyard, and I was going to shoot. I maybe even did shoot a couple of times. And then I thought to myself, I wonder what my neighbor across the branch, if this arrow was to hit that deer's back and shoot off through there, and he was mowing his yard, and it stuck in one of his trees. I wonder what he would think. And then I thought, what happened... God forbid if it ricocheted and stuck Wayne in the leg, right? I thought, what, what kind of neighbor would I be? Now, hear what I'm saying. I don't think there's a law that tells me that I can't do that at 137 Long Hunters. But I want to be responsible, so I choose not to do that. If, does that make sense? Say okay. All right, so watch this. In your Christian living, Will you begin to consider with all the liberty and freedom that you have in Christ, does it honor his name? Does it prefer and profit my brother or sister in Christ? Does it become a stumbling block to someone who is weak in the faith or a new believer in the faith? And then, if it does, man, step that aside. Now, you say, why would I step that aside? Watch this. Because you have real freedom and liberty to deny yourself that and be perfectly fine in Christ. Are you watching me with that? Are you, are you hearing that? You, you have that freedom to just say, I'm choosing to deny that part of me because it's going to become a stumbling block to the greater good of God's glory. And so I'm going to choose to use my liberty and freedom in a great, great way. And that leads us to this third point. So what is, what is Paul saying? The gospel frees us to remember our calling. The gospel frees us to walk in our liberty responsibly. And then he says, the gospel frees us to serve one another in love. But through love, verse 13 and then into 14, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there was a formula Paul wanted the Galatian believers to remember. And here, here's what he was saying. He says, you've got tremendous liberty... And when you take that liberty and you yoke that with the love of Christ that he has put in your heart, it can result in spirit-filled service to others. A service that God gets honored and glorified. You're serving through love and it really helps the people that you are serving. And then the contrast of that would be if we take this liberty but we don't couple it with love, it really becomes a license to distort the grace of God and possibly even sin. You guys have seen that happen, haven't you? Pulled up to a restaurant one day a few months ago. I was excited. It was Friday. I got my sermon done. Uh, I think I'd already mowed the yard. It was being a productive Friday. And man, I head to this little place. I won't name, but I head to this little place. And, and a little girl, she slings open that little window, sliding window. And she said, what do you want? Well, I want one of them big chopped barbecue pork sandwiches is what I want. But 
I made the bad mistake of responding to that attitude, which I just pulled up to by saying, are you having a bad day? Now, I want to say something to you. If you know someone's having a bad day, don't ask them if they're having a bad day. I mean, she said, a matter of fact, I am. I'm having a terrible day. I'm having a terrible week. I'll get you your sandwich. Whoo. She brought me my sandwich. I whipped out my little debit card. She said, we don't take debit cards. I don't have any cash. Well, you got a check? And I said, well, let me check and see if I have a check. Because I, I don't carry one on me. So I looked in my car. I, I did have a check, so I started writing a check out to her. And I said, I, I just want you to know, I really want you, I really want you to have a better week than you've had this week. She said, I hope so. And she slid the door. That sandwich just didn't taste as good. Right? Have y'all ever had an experience like that? What is Paul saying? He's not saying anything about barbecue sandwiches, but there's what he's saying. If you take your liberty and it is not coupled with love, you can take that liberty and you can really distort the grace of God. Does, does that make sense? So practically, whether you're a musician, you're a singer, you're a tech guy back there, maybe you're a nursery worker, maybe you're a greeter, maybe you're a preacher preaching a sermon, maybe you're teaching a class on Wednesday night, maybe you're going to job, your job and you've grown to the place where you look at your vocation as an actual ministry, and so you're going to that, and man, you, you've got this liberty and you're doing it, but man, it's not coupled with love, it's not coupled with humility, it's not coupled with gratitude, and so you're just going about that frustrated. And we just go about distorting the grace of God. My brothers and sisters, God's grace is something wonderful. God's grace not only removed a burden and removed guilt and sin and shame, but God's grace called this sinner to put a smile on my face, and he put joy in my heart, and there was a glad song that, was, that came into me that I didn't previously have. What are you saying, Pastor? There's a formula Paul wanted the Galatian believers to remember, and it's liberty and love is the proper foundation for us to serve others and bring glory to God. There's a foundation Paul wants the Galatians to remember, not just a formula. You see it in verse 14. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's he doing? He's reminding them of the great commandment, Matthew 22. He, you know the first part. I'm on that all the time, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Dr. Moeller's going to be here on uh, August 11th. Is that right? Correct. Am I thinking right? August 11th. And he's going to preach Deuteronomy 6 to us and Matthew 22 to us that day. And so he's going to be here and sharing the word. And we, we always talk about that first part here at Calvary. But I feel like God's leading us to stress the second part over these next three weeks. And it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the foundation. This liberty and license that we have. Watch this. It gives you freedom to love people that aren't like you. It gives you freedom to love people. And not just love them, but to enjoy people that are not like you. I love Grant and Holly Pickrell. 
Where is Holly? She's up in the nursery, I guess, serving. Listen to this. They, Holly sells, you help me, Loretta, is it uh, Juice Plus? I call it glorified orange juice. She's serving Juice Plus. And her dad came in one day and was telling me about how he was juicing and he was doing this other stuff and Mark was just losing an incredible amount of weight and he was telling me to help me. He was saying, without just saying, preacher, I can help you lose a bunch of weight. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm sure 90% of y'all are juicers. I am not a vegetarian. I am just not. I'm, I'm not a juicer. I'm not a pill popper. I'm just, I'm not. I don't know that I ever will be. But listen to me. It's perfectly okay if you want to. And I'm not going to think bad about you. If you juice plus four times a day the rest of your life, I'm okay with that. Hello, are y'all tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? Now watch this. This type of liberty, this type of freedom allows us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I think uh, we are in dire need of some real statesmen and politicians across the board, whether they be independents or Republicans or Democrats. But I can tell you, I can love people that don't have the same political view as me. And I think there's some real dangerous positions, unbiblical, unhealthy, non-gospel positions being advocated right now in our country. Non-gospel positions. Not political position, non-gospel positions. Issues that deal with the dignity of life and what is a human being and when does life begin and a host of other things. But I would just say to you, I can love the person that disagrees. If you believe that to be true, say amen. A few summers ago, um, we were in Chicago and one of the things the boys wanted to do were, it was early summer, and the Bears training camp was going on. And so we wanted to go watch the Bears downstate from where my brother lives. And so we went down there to watch their mini camp. And it was great. We, we got to line up and see all these guys come out. You know, all the good players rode out in cars. All the trenchmen, they walked out, you know, with all their gear. And we got to see all that. We're close. I mean, we're really close to these players. And so the boys stayed right down there on the field as these guys are practicing and warming up and doing all of that. And I go up in the stands to sit down. And so I sit down. Who do you think walks over and sits right next to me? Right next to me. Jesse Jackson. How many of you know who Jesse Jackson is? Raise your hand. And I thought, here's your center pastor. I thought, good grief. Out of all the places... For Jesse Jackson to come sit. He came and sat down right next to me. And no longer did that thought come across my mind. Then God just convicted my heart. And said, Jesse Jackson's a human being. I'm thinking, yeah, I know where you're wanting this to go. <laughs> and so I wait for everybody around him, you know, to like his little entourage to go where they were. There's me and Jesse and his grandson. And so I say, Mr. Jackson, I'm named Randy Shaw. I'm from 
Glasgow, Kentucky. I got my boys up here watching the Bears news then. He said, good to meet you. I said, Jesse, tell me about your calling. I know you're, you present yourself as a gospel minister as well as this advocate. I'm a pastor, and so a preacher of the gospel. Tell me about your call to ministry. So he gave some sort of, you know, some sort of call to ministry. It was subject enough that I was faced with a question. Am I going to love Jesse Jackson enough to talk to him about what it means to be saved, or am I just going to let Jesse Jackson sit there? And so I said, you know, Jesse, I came to know Christ when I was 19. I moved from Chicago down there. Yeah, yeah, he said, yeah, yeah. I said, Jesse, do you remember a time in your life that you were born again? And Jesse said, yeah, I sure do. And he started telling me about an experience he had when he was a boy. Now, I'm going to tell you, on about every issue under the sun, Randy Shaw is here, and Jesse Jackson's over here. Wait a minute. Randy Shaw's here on the right, <laughs> and Jesse Jackson's over here on the left, right? Uh, and I'm not meaning right being in the right. I'm saying just I'm one way, he's another way. Now watch this. God still calls me to love Jesse Jackson, pray for Jesse Jackson, and to serve Jesse Jackson. And he expects no less of each one of you concerning your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, family members, people who are not like you. And Paul says this. Listen, stand to your feet because we're done. He says, here's how important that is. That you love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Was the lawyer's response to Jesus. And Jesus said, look around. It's humanity, right? Here's how crucial it is that we understand that with this freedom and liberty, we choose love and to serve one another. And we love them as ourselves. Because he says in verse 15, here's this full warning. He said, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Have you ever done that, faith family? Have you ever, ever had a bitter, critical spirit and heart? Come on, Belinda, come on, Todd. Have you all ever just got frustrated with somebody, something, and instead of with the liberty that God has given you to walk in freedom, you've used that liberty to be critical or condescending or condemning. Paul said to those believers at Galatia, watch it, watch it. Because he said, if you allow that to develop in you, you're going to end up devouring one another. Love wins the day. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Love never fails. And so as we start thinking over these next few weeks about just service, let's use this freedom that the gospel that we have through Christ because of the gospels at work in us, let's use this freedom to choose to love people 
people who we may agree with, people who we may not agree with, people who look like us, people who do not look like us. But let's love them and serve them and demonstrate the grace of God that is in us. If you believe that to be true, say amen. God, you are great. Always great. And you are good. Lord Jesus, you are incredibly good to us. Always great. Always good. God, we bow before you Sunday morning, last Sunday of June. And God, we ask that you would create in us a clean heart pure motives that God you would help us to take this liberty and freedom that you have given us that comes in Christ and Lord that we would use it to make you known as we serve one another and God as we serve one another in love a real spirit of humility and kindness God you are great and greatly to be so, Lord, I know this word was certainly for me today. It has been for this week. Lord, I pray for whoever else you've been speaking to through your word today that you will allow them to confess sin and turn from it, to remember the calling that they have, this freedom, this liberty that they have, to remember this calling that you've extended us. And then, God, that we would being stumbling blocks and that we would prefer one another God that we would love our neighbors as ourselves for your honor and glory Lord grant it to be it's my prayer in Jesus name if you want to come and pray you, you come and pray this morning and uh, if you want to come and join this church you come if you have a need you come and I'd love to listen to you and pray with you won't you come